instead of going through um, chapter 26, 27, and 28, by reading them, I'm going to present pictures. And how I've done that is if you have a bulletin, you will see in the insert a, a little chart. One, it talks about the illustration of the furniture. Then it has in the, in the middle the uh, tabernacle. And then on the back page, the garment of the priest. I encourage you to reference that as we discussed. I also encourage you to take it home. And if for some reason you don't have it, pick it up on your way out because it'll help make sense of it. When we took a last look at God saying, I'm going, I want you to build a tabernacle, a tent, uh, if you will, uh, where my special presence will go with you. And as a tent, it's movable. And so God is giving him uh, instructions on how to make this uh, tabernacle uh, and the materials and how it's constructed. So when we took a last look, we looked at the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat made of acacia wood and gold. Took a look at the, the golden lampstand with seven different branches and the table of showbread. Um, and then God is talking about the continued construction of it. What he then goes and he diverts from the tabernacle furniture to the covering of what we typically call the holy place and the holy of holies. So it, there's two constructions. First, they're to build pillars to act as the tent poles, if you will, for the inside. And then they're to take linen with purple and gold and blue and intertwine them. So if this were linen, it would look something like this. And this would be the covering over the, I don't want to say tabernacle because the whole structure is a tabernacle, but the place where the holy and holy of holies are. So this overlays that. And then on top of that is a covering of material that's made of goat hair. Goat hair is a little more durable, uh, waterproof, those types of things. So that covers that structure. So if you look in your insert on the middle pages, it'll talk about the tabernacle. So if you see the little structure that's that is there, that's where the holy place and the holy of holies. Now in the tabernacle, we have discussed the, like I said, the Ark of the Covenant, and that's placed in the holy of holies. We've talked about two of the three structures, the table of showbread and the golden candle. That's in the holy place. Around that was then constructed walls, slats with poles to create a courtyard surrounding the holy place and holy of holies. So if you'll see that, and you'll notice that the entrance is always constructed so it's facing east. I have never been told this. This is my suspicion why it always faces the east. But it's my suspicion. It's not God definitely telling you this. But 
it has been my observation when I read the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, whenever man sinned or got away from God, he always headed east. East of Eden, east when they decided that they were going to rebel against what God wanted. It was always moving east. And so, in essence, to return from God, you're going to go from the east towards the west. That's my suspicion. Not, but there is a reason God apparently says, I want you, when you build this thing, to have the gateway to the structure east. So then there's this gate, and then there is what's called the bronze altar. The best way to describe the bronze altar, it's a barbecue. You put wood and those types of things to create a fire. It's made of bronze. And then you would place the offerings on top of it. This is a real mini scale of what that looked like. It was made of bronze. It had poles to be able to carry it. It had holes so that it could drop through. And they would place the coals, create the fire. Then when they would sacrifice the animals and then they would offer burnt offerings, they would place the offering on the altar. What they would later do is take the coals that were made from, from the fire and take it to another altar that we'll discuss in the next couple of weeks, the altar of incense, and they will use that in order to create the fire to burn the incense. So this would be when you walked into the gateway, the first item you would see would be this bronze altar. So if you'll turn to your first page, that's what the first thing is, is the bronze altar, offering of the sacrifice. The next thing that you would see in this courtyard is the laver. It's a, a pool of water. After offering the sacrifices, oftentimes you would get a little dirty. So what would happen is, you would, the priests would bathe themselves in this pool, wash their hands and whatever, so that they would eliminate the smoke and whatever that's there, so that they could then proceed into the holy place. Now, when it came to the tabernacle, the only people who were allowed inside were the Levites, the priests. They would be the ones who offer the sacrifices. They would be the ones to wash of themselves. And then the priests would go daily into the holy place to change out the, the bread on the table of showbread to make sure that the oil is sufficient and the candles and then um, uh, service the altar of incense. One day a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest... Would, would then be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And he would go twice. He would go once to offer an offering for himself. Then he would go inside to make an offering for the people. Most people, if they understand anything about this, think about the temple and not the tabernacle. The tabernacle was set for a pattern based on God's plan, and as we've seen, it is based on the heavenly copy. Later, Solomon will build a temple, 
and will use somewhat the very similar concept, but not identical. Part of the difference is, you'll, if you look at the temple, is that there were different courtyards in addition to the ones that are here. There was a courtyard of the men, and that's where the Jewish men could approach the temple area. From a part a little further back was the courtyard of the women, where the Jewish women could come relatively close to the temple, but not there. Then there would be where you and I could go, the courtyard of the Gentiles. We were further back. And you go, well, why should we know all of this stuff? Because you miss the richness of the scriptures. For instance, in Ephesians, when it talks about that Christ has broken down the dividing walls. There's no longer men or women. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. It's just believers accessing to the place where God dwells. And so, as we take a look at this, the other thing I want you to understand is, as you go from outside to the courtyard, to the inner place, the altar, the brazen altar, and the labor were constructed of bronze. The items in the holy place and the holy of holies was constructed of gold. Next, I want you to look at the last page. It's the high priest. The scriptures tell us how to prepare the garments of the high priest. The high priest's garments, again, were constructed of linen, and they were made of, you guessed it, purple, red, scarlet, and blue. And they would create these robes and tunics and what they call an ephod. So all there, it discusses the various things so that you might see what it looks like. It's a turban on his head with a gold miter. There's a breastplate that is placed on him. There are 12 stones. Each of those stones represents one of the tribes of Israel. Now I could go through and talk about each stone and what it represents and, and quite honestly, it's kind of speculation. Um, but the definite discussion is that each stone represents one of the tribes. But there's also two onyx stones that are placed upon the priest's garment. And on each of the two stones, six names, each of the tribes of Israel are placed on this stones. So there are two ways the people of God are represented by being placed upon the clothing of the priest. Both these onyx stones and the various stones of different types on the breastplate of gold. Why is that important? Because as the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, he was entering not as himself, but he's representing the people of God. And so every time he would enter into the Holy of Holies, he would be doing so as a representative, as a priest of the people of God. So the offering was first to see, to, to sacrifice and place the blood on the mercy seat for his own sins. But then he would come back and offer the offering for the sins of the people. And by having the names of the tribes, it illustrated 
both to him and as symbolism, the people of God. That was very quick for a couple of chapters. And I would encourage you to take this home. It has a number of different Bible verses. Um, it kind of uses, um, for instance, on the first page of furniture, kind of looks like a cross. Um, I think that's interesting. But what I want you to do is, what is it for me today? Because I'm not Jewish. There isn't even a tabernacle. There's not even a temple anymore. So why does it matter? It matters for the following reasons in my humble estimation. Because we need to understand just how holy God is. We get this idea in our current culture and there is truth to it, so I, you know, I, I don't want to belittle it. But we have this idea when we sing the song like, such a friend in Jesus. Jesus is my buddy. All I have to do is ask for things, and Jesus, the great Santa Claus, will give it to me. And he's just my buddy. You know, he's my co-pilot. You know, we kind of bring God down to our level, and that's not right. Yes, he is a friend, but he's also God. And he is a holy God. And we need to remember just because he's a merciful God and what we'll talk about in a little bit, that he has allowed you and me access to him doesn't diminish that he's holy. And that there was a time that he was trying to explain to us that because he was separated, we needed to be different. And remember his original plan, if you remember back in Exodus, was that he had called everyone, all the people of God, to be a holy people, a royal priesthood. But because they were content to let Moses minister and they would worship from afar off, then he said, this is how afar off is. You stand back and watch the priests and the Levites minister and come into my presence. He's reversed that and allowed you and me to come into his presence. But we need to understand he is a holy God. And to, be, and to enter into that presence, there required something. In this day, it required the sacrifice of animals, the blood of bulls and goats offered so that it might cleanse them, so that they might enter closer into the presence of God, but that that access to God was only permitted by one person once a year. But things changed. Hebrews chapter 9. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 1 through 6. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts 
and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now you have obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as we, he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was enacted on better promises. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us that this tabernacle wasn't built on some whim and wasn't built so-so, but God told him to, to construct it in a particular way because it was a copy of what was in heaven. The temple, interestingly enough, is, is a temple, a permanent structure, but it wasn't built by the pattern of God. It was a tabernacle that was. And so he's saying here that Jesus, if he were a typical priest, would not qualify to go into this early because that's not how he came. But this tabernacle was a copy. And then in Hebrews chapter 9, starting with verse 1, it says this. Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, and that is called the holy place. That's the first structure once you enter. So you go through the tent of the meeting, you go through the gateway, you see the bronze altar, you see the laver, and then the structure that goes in that first room is the holy place. And he's saying, those are the items that you would find there. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a gold or altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold. Now, if you have been reading ahead, you will say, huh, that's different than the pattern. And we'll discuss that in the future. Having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot speak in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people, offered of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Well, what does that mean? He's saying the problem with the old system 
was it didn't fix the problem. Yes, there would be offerings for sin and offerings uh, because you messed up when it came to food and regulations and, and the law and the statutes and the ordinances and you were coming. But the problem was it didn't make you perfect. It just kept repeating the thing. It was like we would sin, offer a sacrifice, we're restored. We sin, offer a sacrifice, restored. It didn't fix the problem. But the purpose of it wasn't to fix the problem. It was to tell us we have a problem. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. When Jesus died, He didn't just lay in a tomb. He entered the Holy of Holies, the real place, not the one that was made as a pattern, not the sample, but the one in heaven where God himself dwells. He entered and said, here's my blood. And just as the high priest had the names of the people of God, he came bearing our names. He represented us and said, I paid for their sins. My blood covers them. And it does, not, it does more than just cause us to be free from skin for a day or two. But we have been redeemed. We have been made righteous. That forgiveness is eternal, not just year by year. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled, sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, the blood of goats may have placated God, if you will, but this now does more than just cleanse our flesh. It cleanses our conscience. It cleanses all that we are. It is a valuable and eternal redemption. I'm going to move to verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of these things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the ones who come, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You see, the problem with the high priest no matter how fancy his dress was, he was human and he was a sinner. And he could only stay for a moment in the Holy of Holies. But Jesus, because of who he is, the Son of God, because of his sacrifice of his blood, stays 
there in the holy place, the holy of holies. And therefore, when he intercedes for us, it's daily. It's not, well, I offered a sacrifice and we got another 300 days to go before I can come back. Jesus is there every day, every moment. So when we, and we so often like to say when we make mistakes, when we sin, you make a mistake when you buy the wrong car. You sin when you do what you're not supposed to do with the car. But he goes, he's mine. It's covered. She's mine. It's covered. But he didn't just go to this place that was built with hands. He went to heaven itself. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest entered the holy place year by year with the blood not his own. Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages he has been made manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, And after this comes the judgment. So Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. It must have been a special day way back when there was the tabernacle and way back when there was the temple. To know when the high priest might go. And you're not real sure whether God would accept his offering. So they would tie a rope around him and bells so they might know that he's still alive as he's offering it. And it must have been an exciting thing to see or at least hear about because you probably never saw it because we had to be so far off. When the offering was made, And God was pleased and you knew we were restored in our relationship. But imagine how it is for us today that we're never having to worry about being afar off. As a matter of fact, and we'll see this in a few weeks, in the temple... I, as a Gentile, would have been way relegated, way past. You could probably see the top, you could see the structure of the temple. That's about as close as I could get. Jewish women, they get to have their own little courtyard. They get a little further. Still, the view probably wasn't all that great. Then there was the courtyard of the men. They got a little closer to the action. But they still weren't allowed to go in. Then the Levites and the priests got to go into the courtyard and they're ministering. They're doing the sacrifices and placing the offerings on the the brazen altar and they would wash out the labor. And then when there was a time was assigned as, for instance, 
Zechariah, when he ministered and the angel appeared to him, there would be days that were, that were assigned to when they would get to go into the holy place to replace the bread, to make sure that the oil was sufficient for the lampstand and to make sure the incense and the coals were there for the altar of incense. But there were so many Levites that you had to have an assigned schedule. And if you noticed, he was fairly old when he got the assignment. And probably having served it once, that would be it. Then the high priest would only enter, but that was one guy who entered once a year into the Holy of Holies. But because of Jesus and his sacrifice in the actual holy place, we don't have to be way back. We don't have to even have to be a little closer. The scriptures say that we get to enter boldly into the holy of holies and to make our requests known to God. I don't have to wait till a certain day. I don't have to wait for some guy with my name on it to appear before God. I get to be in the presence of God every day, every moment of every day. Oh, yes, Jesus died for my sins, and that's wonderful. But there are so many benefits other than just the relief of the burden of guilt and shame. But that I also have an opportunity to minister before my God. And you have the opportunity to minister before your God. As we discussed last week, we have a ministry of reconciliation. We have a ministry that we serve for Him. But we also have a ministry as a kingdom of priests and a royal people. To praise Him, to worship Him, to be in His presence. No longer afar off. The reason this is important is not that God has become less holy. He's still holy. But by what He has done, instead of diminishing who He is, He's made us worthy to be in His presence. To see where we were and where we now are should cause us to praise Him. So whether we remember what the color and what the stones were on the breastplate, some people might find that really interesting and, and great. The truth of the matter is Jesus, the Son of God, because of what He did, the scriptures all say not only did he offer his blood in the Holy of Holies that's in heaven, it also says that he did something no high priest ever did. He sat down so that he might always be an intercessor for me and for you. So it's important for us to know where we were 
and where we now are. When we think about it, what a privilege it is to say, what a friend we have in Jesus, all my sins and griefs to bear. But at the same time, he is holy, holy, holy. And he hasn't just excused me, he has made me holy so that I might worship and be in his presence. And for those of you who aren't believers, it'll be hard to communicate this to you. But if you are, if you remember back at times when you've gone on a retreat where you get away from all of the hustle and bustle of this life and you just deal with God and you worship Him and you read your Bible, there is that what we call that mountaintop experience. And we desire to have that and somehow because of life and what we do, we allow that to kind of diminish. But the Christian life ought to be that mountaintop experience every single day. To love to be in His presence. Not to be satisfied with anything less than to be in His presence. And the thing is this, because of the blood of Christ, nothing, nothing, nothing keeps you from that ability to be in His full presence every day. And we should be not satisfied with anything less. So I'm going to ask the band to come and lead us in holy is the Lord because He is. But because of who He is, He's made us holy too. Because of the blood that was placed not in the pattern of the holy of holies, but in the reality of it.